this special edition of the Lacey Johnson podcast, this Juneteenth uh, edition of the Lacey Johnson podcast. And uh, this evening, we're going to have uh, as our guest uh, the national uh, head of the Frederick Douglass Foundation. And we're going to get into a little bit about uh, the background uh, with the Civil War, uh, the whole situation where the slave down in Texas did not know about the Emancipation uh, Proclamation until it was uh, uh, told them in 1865, June 19, 1865, even though the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation was in 1862 and the final one was in 1863. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Frederick Douglass' uh, relationship with President Lincoln, how he was the conscious uh, of our nation during the Civil War, uh, and uh, may even get into the Civil War a little bit, because a lot of times we, we don't know our history, and we'll talk a little bit about the history, the history of the Republican Party, the history of the Democratic Party. Uh, and, you know, let me just say this. Uh, I got into a discussion a dialogue, some might call it a debate, but it really wasn't. Uh, but uh, with one of my friends about the whole three-fifth compromise that occurred during the Constitution Convention. And uh, it, it all started because they were very, very upset uh, with the uh, counting uh, slaves as three-fifths human. And what I try to explain to them, and what a lot of people don't know, is that Count the slaves as three fifths human. What? Let me put it this way: not count them as human at all would have actually hurt the slaveholder worse than counting them as human. It's politics and understanding the details, because a lot of time the devil is in the details. Uh, we have everyone knows we have uh, the census every ten years, and one of the main purposes of the census is to decide how you apportion uh, representation in the house. Long story short. Uh, uh, if you would have counted the slaves, that would have actually, as a whole human being, that would have actually helped the slaveholders in the southern states with the slaves because they would have had more uh, representative in Congress. So, in a, and I hope you're following this in a, a really strange kind of way, counting the slaves as a human person, a whole human, would have actually hurt the slaves more so than it helped. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. Do some research on the three-fifth compromise, and let's go from there. So that's why uh, I'm happy to have someone uh, on today as uh, Bishop Dean Nelson, so we can get into some of those facts and figures and, and, and educate you on them. And so once again, uh, I'll be right back. Uh, we're going to talk about Juneteenth. We're going to talk about Frederick Douglass. We're going to talk about the Frederick Douglass Foundation uh, with our guest tonight. Uh, Bishop Dean Nelson. In the meantime, uh, go out to the website, uh, go out to YouTube, whatever, and uh, click the bell for notification. Subscribe to the channel, uh, like the podcast, and uh, shop on the online store uh, so we can get things going and get more information out to you. Uh, I'm open. Uh, I love to be proven wrong because that's when I learn things. Uh, so anybody got different ideas, different opinions, we'd like to hear from you. And hey, look, if you got the same ideas, and, uh, same opinion, we'd like to hear from you anyway. So stay tuned. I'll be right back. 
with uh, Bishop Dean Nelson uh, as part of our special Juneteenth uh, edition of the Lacey Johnson podcast. Our Juneteenth uh, show, podcast as I would call it, uh, we have our, as our guest today, uh, Bishop Dean Nelson. Uh, Bishop Nelson is the uh, chairman of the National uh, Frederick Douglass, Douglass Foundation. And we're going to talk about that a, a little because Frederick Douglass, of course, uh, played a key role in the Civil War in the whole Juneteenth. And we probably discover some details here that uh, we haven't talked about before. Uh, I got into a discussion uh, with some of my fellow uh, black sisters and brothers about their Democrats and uh, liberals, of course, about uh, our history and uh, the three-fifth compromise. And long story short there, they had an exact opposite perspective of the three-fifth compromise and what it was in reality. And part of the issue with us is just to educate ourselves. And that's one of the roles uh, that the Frederick Douglass Foundation is going uh, to be uh, playing across the country. And in the spirit of open and honest communication, uh, I will be working with some local people here to start up a local chapter uh, of the Frederick Douglass Foundation for the state of Minnesota. So having said that, without further ado, uh, let's welcome uh, Bishop Dean Nelson. Uh, welcome, Bishop. Uh, uh, welcome to the Lacey Johnson podcast. Man, thank you so much. It's great to be with you again. I enjoyed our last visit and, um, you know, couldn't uh, figure out why it took you so long to bring me back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in such demand, Bishop Nelson. No. And by the way, while we're thinking about it, uh, go out to uh, my YouTube channel, uh, click the uh, bell to get notification, click the like button, uh, subscribe to the channel. And oh, uh, we got an online store out there with some nice Lacey Johnson uh, paraphernalia. So go out and support the podcast. And we, of course, we accept donations and things too to support the podcast. So sorry about that, Dean. Had to get that out of the way. So here's the thing, Dean. I, I do recall, I think from my last interview, uh, I think you were born in the Maryland, uh, state of Maryland, or are you currently living there? Give us a little background on your bio, bi give us a little bio background, and then we'll delve into some of the uh, Juneteenth-related issues and some of the things that you're doing with the Frederick Douglass Foundation. But uh, just give us a summary about where you're from, your family, where you grew up at, and just your educational background, uh, yeah. uh, Dean, if you don't mind. Yeah, so I, I do live currently in uh, the state of Maryland and uh, proud to be here because this was the home state of the great abolitionist Frederick Douglass. And so, uh, but I actually grew up on the other side of the Potomac uh, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, that's where, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a you know, relatively small town called Marshall, Virginia, that's about uh, 60 miles west of Washington, D.C., kind of at the foothills of the Blue Ridge. So, uh, kind of like you, Lacey, you could call me a country boy. Um, I grew up with my grandfather's uh, farm. He had 70 acres and um, he gave my mom and my dad a little piece of property uh, on that 70 acres. They built a home, uh, raised, you know, myself and I've got uh, 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 three sisters and uh, and actually a half brother that's become a really important part uh, of my family. And so uh, my dad still lives there. We we affectionately refer to it as Nelson Mountain. Uh, my dad still lives there. He's uh, 
He'll be 85 this year and uh, just a tight knit family. Grew up in a you know small little country uh, Baptist church where the values of, um, you know, hard work and uh, honesty uh, were instilled in us. Uh, my parents grew up in segregated schools, you know, in Virginia. And even in my little town in the 1980s, there was a, a small restaurant that didn't allow black people to eat there. So I'm acquainted with uh, with, you know, racism and discrimination. But uh, at the same time, my parents instilled in us uh, a sense of uh, respect and a sense of self-respect. And so just because somebody might look at me and call me the N-word or something like that, I looked at them back and said, there's something wrong with them, not something wrong with me. And uh, I'm just proud of uh, the heritage that we have and uh, excited to uh, raise my kids uh, in the same way and empower them to be uh, great citizens in our country and also uh, Christians to honor God. Well, yeah, we do have a lot in common, uh, similar here. Uh, I remember the first time that I heard the N word come out of a white person's mouth was actually, even though I grew up down south, was right here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Wow, and, look at that. Yeah. And in fact, I tell people, I, I'm from the south. I grew up there. I've been going back and forth there for six or something years. And believe it or not, I still have not heard the N word come out of a white person's mouth. Maybe God has protected me or whatever. But uh, I, I think, and you're, if you're like me, uh, being born and raised as a Christian, we deal with hatred, racism, and things in a whole separate manner. Uh, I was telling someone the other day they had me at a forum is that uh, our parents and elders really simplified the world for me. There was God, uh, there was the world, and there was me. And God in the world was a constant and it all depended upon me and how my perspective in life, how hard I worked, the way I looked at things, my attitude, my reaction, my tenacity, and my spirituality. So I know exactly where you're coming from now. Of course, people who do not have that spiritual foundation, uh, they don't understand why you don't strike out uh, uh, to people uh, when they uh, are racist or whatever. Uh, why don't... How does your Christianity, or how did your Christianity help you uh, respond to racism and being called the N-word a little different, uh, uh, Bishop Nelson? Yeah, you know, man, I uh, I gave my life to the Lord as a, as a young man, um, but I had an encounter simply. I just had an encounter with God. I recognized that uh, while, you know, I was a man, I also recognized that I was a sinner and that... Um, apart from God, there was nothing really good about me. And um, I remember in that, you know, little Baptist church, uh, you know, something happened. And I remember my cousins looking at me and saying, what happened to you? What happened to you? Uh, but it was just, uh, it was an encounter with, with God. And ever since that day, um, my desire has been to uh, honor God. I haven't done it perfectly. I've had a whole lot to learn. But at, since that time, I've tried to live my life with the example of Jesus in mind. And uh, then there've been other examples like the man over my shoulder, Frederick Douglass, uh, who went through what much worse than I ever went through. I mean, beaten, you know, had to escape, you know, from slavery, uh, went through all that he went through, but yet still found it in his heart to forgive the person who said that he owned him. Uh, Douglass was, uh, was a true minister of, of the gospel uh, as well as an abolitionist. And so, 
we've had a lot of good examples within our community from Douglas to Martin Luther King Jr. or other people, not perfect men, but people that pursued uh, the biblical idea of all men created equal. Yeah, and uh, if you're like me, uh, that's a very good response. If you're like me, uh, I'm a big fan of the uh, Civil War documentary. And what I like about that is that you learn a lot about Frederick Douglass and his relationship with President Lincoln, uh, how he felt about uh, slavery and how the war was being fought. And so uh, if we're going to have a, a Juneteenth podcast, I can't think of anything better than to talk about Frederick Douglass, uh, talk about Juneteenth and have uh, you, uh, uh, Bishop Nelson, on to lead us through that. Now, one thing uh, uh, a lot of people may not know is that uh, President Lincoln and Frederick Douglass had uh, an agreement that he would actually uh, according to my reading, uh, go across the country and let former slaves know about the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, it didn't quite get executed. And where I'm getting to there is that if that would have happened, we might not have even had a Juneteenth because you might have let them know down in Florida uh, uh, that uh, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation uh, had been uh, signed in, in 1963, at least the final one. I think the original one, that was a preliminary one that was in 1962. But uh, so yeah. I can't think of anyone better to discuss that. Now, tell us about when you first heard about Frederick Douglass and uh, you mentioned some of the things and why you're such an uh, admirer of, hers, of, of him and uh, fill that in for us, uh, uh, Bishop Nelson. Yeah, uh, so I have uh, in my possession uh, something that is referred to uh, as a golden legacy comic books. And uh, these were black history comic books that when I was a little boy, my mother brought home. And, uh, and in this uh, golden legacy comic books, there was one figure who had two comic books uh, written about him. And that was Frederick Douglass. So that was my early introduction to Mr. Douglass. Uh, I would later learn a whole lot more about him from uh, you know, again, the encounter that he had as a young boy uh, with Jesus Christ uh, during, um, you know, kind of a revival movement that took place during uh, during America. Uh, then I would learn a little bit more about, you know, his devotion to uh, to God as a minister, uh, but also learn more about how he conducted himself uh, even with his family. Uh, he raised his kids. Uh, with his wife and his wife did most of it because he was on the road traveling a lot. But Anna Murray Douglas uh, raised her kids memorizing scripture. Uh, they had to quote scripture before they had dinner <laughs> at the dinner table often. So uh, those were some of the early things that I learned uh, about Frederick Douglas. And it's been a joy, man. There's so, so much more to learn. You talked a little bit about his relationship with President Lincoln, which was um uh, not, you know, not positive uh, early on. I mean, Douglas really uh, chided Lincoln and challenged yep. Lincoln. Uh, but Douglas was also smart. I mean, he said, hey, look, we want to ultimately be, have full citizenship for black people in this country. And one of the things that he did, if you remember that great movie, Glory, uh, he actually uh, was responsible for helping the 54th Massachusetts Regiment to uh, to get underway. And uh, he felt that if we could have black men that would fight against the South 
for the freedom of our nation, then it would be hard for Lincoln or anybody to deny them full citizenship. So Douglas and Lincoln had a, a good relationship at the end of uh, Lincoln's life. Of course, when he was assassinated, Douglas would have some of the strongest, most powerful, affirming words of, uh, of President Lincoln because he saw he was a man who actually changed his position and did what he said, particularly with regard to uh, the Emancipation Proclamation. And you are right. They did have some tension between them. I, I think uh, uh, Douglas uh, thought that Lincoln was dragging his feet on the emancipation of, of, of the slave. Uh, someone came up with this idea that we're going to uh, allow uh, Black Americans to colonize somewhere else that Lincoln supported. So Douglas was on him about all of that, and, and he served as in a lot of ways. Uh, and I found out that the uh, first time Douglas visited the White House, he actually uh, he visited uninvited and just went in and talked to Lincoln and let him know his feelings about those two issues. So, so Dean, uh, Bishop Nelson, when we look at history, and I'm a big fan of history, I mean, the uh, Democrat Party uh, was behind slavery. Those were Democrats, slave owners. The lynched people were lynching black people were Democrats. Uh, those who came up with the Jim Crow laws was Democrats. Those who supported segregation were Democrats. Uh, the founders of the KKK were Democrats. How do you explain the fact that uh, the black community is so supportive and I'm, I'm gonna say this kind of in love with the Democrat party today, given their history uh, as it relate to black people and slavery. Yeah, man, one of the things that we try to do is to highlight the history um, you know, of our country, uh, the good, the bad, and, and the ugly. Um, and your question is a great one. I think when I speak to most black Americans, um, number one, they don't know that, or they say, hey, look, that was way back then. And some of them are almost convinced that uh, the uh, Democrats, uh, from then have switched and become Republicans. <laughs> and uh, that's also not true. You have a very, very few uh, group of Dixiecrats and segregationists, segregationists who switched political parties. And so some of them try to blow that out of proportion, but that is, uh, that's not true. Um, we really need to do a better job of telling our story, but I think also uh, we need to do a better job of talking about what the Republican Party, uh, you know, and if a person wants to be independent, but what it stands for. Uh, what really made the biggest difference for me is when someone showed me the platform of both parties. And I read the platform. And if I read the platforms over the years, because to your point, at the very beginning, when the Republican Party was established, part of its planks in its platform were number one, to end slavery. Secondly, was to provide citizenship for black Americans or former slaves. And interestingly enough, another one was to make uh, marriage between one man and one woman throughout the entire country. Because at that time in the West, polygamy was growing, uh, particularly through the Mormon uh, you know, religion. And uh, they wanted to say, hey, we believe that it's one man and one woman. So it's very interesting um, from the history of the Republican Party in terms of where it stood. But I think that, you know, today 
Uh, there's a lot that has happened in between that time. Uh, Republicans have not done a very good job, in my opinion, of uh, engagement uh, in representing the values that they have. Uh, to be perfectly honest, sometimes I almost think that they want to keep things the way that they are. Um, but uh, you and I know differently. We believe in the values of uh, the Republican Party simply because there's nothing in it that is contrary to God's word. Now, it's different how people vote. It's different when I talk about elected officials. It's different in terms of policy positions that individuals may take. But from a platform standpoint, uh, that party has nothing in it that is offensive. And if I go with the Democrat Party, there's so many things that are in it that are contrary to God's word and God's standard. I just could no longer agree with that. Now, do I vote for Democrats? I I find some that are willing to challenge their party. Uh, I work very closely with Democrats for Life. The president of Democrats for Life is a close friend, someone that I've mentored over the years. So there are exceptions to the rule. But the bottom line is, is that um, foundations matter. Was that scripture in Psalms that said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So foundations matter. And I think that for me, that's the biggest thing um, and my hope is, is that we'll be able to help more uh, black Americans and all Americans, particularly those of faith, to understand that these things are important and you don't leave them when you go into the voting booth. Uh, that's very good. You touched on a few things here. Uh, you touched on reading the platform and form. And what I tell people is that uh, it's been my experience with politics that they none of them quite do what they say they're going to do and there's uh for lack of a better word some hypocrisy in, in, in all of it but when i compare platforms i'm like you uh the republican platform stand, uh, to me is more consistent with biblical teachings uh, the teachings of my parents the, the the constitution and everything everything that uh helped me set my principles i think the republican platform is more consistent with it now, which I just want to touch on a particular issue that was in the news uh, over the last year or so, or since, or, or since the last time we talked, and which I think had a great impact on the last election, the whole issue of abortion. And coming to you as a layman, uh, uh, Bishop Nelson, uh, I'll put it to you like this. I do not understand how any Christian can support a party that's for abortion. And I can't find anything in the Bible that says that, well, everything I know of Jesus, he's been drastically opposed to that. Yet, uh, most of, I, I talk to a lot of, especially black ministers who find some type of way, uh, they use some type of spiritual or mental uh, acrobats to actually justify support of the party that's favored abortion. How do you explain that support for abortion uh, by our uh, black uh, spiritual leaders? And is there any interpretation of scripture that give them some wiggle room? And I know that's a compound question, but you understand what I'm getting at, uh, Bishop Nelson. Sure. You know, I think um, the important thing to remember, and there was an article that one of our staff wrote just a month ago that highlighted 
the lack of a biblical worldview amongst all Christians, not just, you know, black folks who go to church, but, you know, blacks. And if we were to look, I mean, we are more likely to go to church than whites. Uh, we're more likely to be in a Bible study. We're more likely to uh, read the Bible uh, than, uh, than whites or any other group. So um, I do think that it's important for you to highlight that. We, we don't have a, uh, a developed worldview. And what I mean by that is um, we basically have said, hey, we'll talk about salvation, about getting to heaven, uh, but we don't want to talk that much anymore about morality. And then if you dig a little bit deeper, how we should conduct ourselves according to the word of God uh, in terms of whether it's economics or whether it's the sanctity of life issue, we uh, we 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 jump to a political position. Uh, I have had conversation with major ministry leaders, and when I really pin them down, they're wrong. They know they're wrong. They know that they're compromising. But I will say this: I am blessed that when we have had many conversations, you know, there are a lot of guys that are you know high status, you know, leaders, and sometimes you have to have those meetings behind closed doors. And I've seen them repent. I've seen them said, man, I uh, look, this is this is just how I saw it. I really didn't really think about the word of God because we have an initiative at the Douglas Leadership Institute called the Jeremiah one in five project that emphasizes that scripture where God says very clearly that, you know, before, you know, you were born, you know, I knew you. So God yep. doesn't even deal with the sanctity of life issue from the standpoint of conception he's like nope even before yeah. conception yep. i knew you so from a theological standpoint there should be really no debate at all um but i will state this also because it's important to note it's not just a theological or a biblical argument it's a scientific argument 98 percent of biologists agree that life begins at conception so it's important for us as ministry leaders uh, people who want to encourage others to have a biblical worldview on these issues. God has always, always stood on the side of protecting innocent life and has a lot to say about the shedding of innocent blood. So I really uh, am excited about what we've done through that Jeremiah 1 and 5 project. Over a thousand pastors and ministry leaders that have signed. And as I will say, many uh, pastors and black leaders that I have met with We've seen a number of them change their position. And I'll close with this. One of the reasons that we've gotten them to change their position isn't just a theological argument. It is a racial argument. When I tell them that in 1939, Margaret Sanger wrote a letter to Clarence Gamble saying, we don't want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population, their eyes kind of open up. They lean in a little bit more and they'll say, tell me more, you know, preacher. And uh, we tell them about the history of the eugenics movement within our country and how it was used to slow down the birth rate of black people because they didn't want to have too many of us. Right. Well, well, here's the thing. And once again, and eventually, you know, a common theme when I talk to my friends and people I know is just a lack of knowledge of what's because a lot of a lot of us don't know the history of Planned Parenthood and Margaret Sanger and. Uh, in fact, a lot of us don't even know, the, have any idea, and I've heard anywhere from 20 to 60 million black babies being aborted 
And uh, once again, I, I appreciate it. In fact, I want to get some information from you. I will on the Jeremiah 1 and 5 project because that's one of my arguments uh, when I talk to people. It, to me, I'm like you. It's, there's no question of when life begins. <laughs> and, and, and if we don't decide it begins at conception, who's going to decide whether it's 6, week 15? But I'm not going to get too deep in that for now. Uh, we, we've, we've talked about you being the... Uh, I'm assuming national director of the Frederick Douglass uh, National Foundation. Uh, give us a history behind the founding of that organization and some of the main uh, goals that you have in mind as far as leadership of the Frederick Douglass Foundation from a national standpoint, uh, Bishop Nelson. Yeah, man, and I'll try to be succinct, but um, basically uh, after the election of President Obama, um, I had a meeting in Washington, D.C. with about 25 black, uh, what I would say, center right leaders. Some of them were independent. Some of them were Republican. Some of them had leadership positions within the Republican Party. And some of them had uh, were leading organizations. And the meeting's primary purpose was we have someone who looks like us historically who has been elected uh, as president of the United States. Uh, but we know, even though particularly in the primary, he ran with signs saying he was a committed Christian. Uh, he knew to talk the language under the, the tutelage and the discipleship of Jeremiah Wright. But we knew that he didn't hold the positions uh, that were biblical positions. And um, I knew that from some things that happened when he was senator and some very nasty things that he had said about some black preachers, which I won't you know, go into. But the bottom line was we were saying, hey, what is our responsibility uh, during that time period? One of the leaders who came from Georgia, who became a very close friend of mine and ultimately the founder, co-founder of the Frederick Douglass Foundation, Dr. Timothy Johnson, spent the night at my house that morning. It was a two day meeting. The next morning he woke up and he asked me if I knew anything about Frederick Douglass. And I pulled out a big sign and I said, hey, man, I'm leading something that's called the Douglass Leadership Lecture Series. And that was something that I was doing in D.C. at the time basically bringing in people like yourself just to tell their story of why they were conservative and um, and kind of what they were doing as as leaders in the conservative movement, particularly as uh, as African-Americans. And that poster, he said, man, I had a dream last night about Frederick Douglass and I want to learn more. So later that day, we had further discussion about what we should do. We didn't come to any full consensus, but we knew that there was a responsibility upon us at least to engage within our people and to begin to communicate some of these truths. And so uh, a month or two later, I got a letter from Dr. Timothy Johnson and uh, he said, hey, congratulations, you're the vice chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation. So he had filed the paperwork and put my name to it. And so Troy Rowling, uh, Dr. Timothy Johnson and myself uh, launched uh, the Frederick Douglass Foundation in uh, 2009 and uh, had a small conference um, here in Washington, D.C. Uh, 2010, I remember writing the first press release and we invited a number of black Republican candidates to Washington, D.C. Many, the Republican Party didn't even know how many uh, federal candidates that they had running, but we had about 30 of them and we did a press conference and guess what? The press showed up. And it became a big story. And now people are like, well, where are all of these black Republicans coming from? 
And uh, that was the launch of the Frederick Douglass Foundation. And we've tried to, as a grassroots movement, empower people just like you to make a difference in their community standing for righteousness and justice. Uh, yes, yeah, so this is, uh, you're doing a great job. Uh, we hope to help you with that. Uh, tell me some of the uh, upcoming events uh, that uh, current events, uh, near-term events that the Frederick Douglass Foundation on a national level, and I know you work with a lot of state organizations. Uh, are there any uh, upcoming events that our audience should be aware of and maybe go out and just get some more information on them so, uh, so they'll have a little detail on what Frederick Douglass is specifically doing? Absolutely. One, we would invite people to visit, uh, you know, fdfnational.org that's fdfnational.org and sign up for our newsletters so that you can get uh, the updated information um, our biggest event that's coming up is actually through our sister organization the douglas leadership institute on monday we will have our annual juneteenth uh, jubilee which is an annual gathering that we do it's a um, kind of a an informative uh, fundraising event uh, that we host where we have notable leaders that are speaking, but we use that time to let people know what our organizations are doing around the country, the successes that we've had, and we honor people with the du Frederick Douglass Leadership Award. And so this year we'll be honoring Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears, who is uh, the Lieutenant Governor here in, um, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, she is a proud Frederick Douglass Foundation member uh, and she'll be speaking at that event. We'll also be honoring a young man who is the vice president of the Frederick Douglass Foundation of Maryland, Giovanni Patterson, who basically has taken on the Baltimore uh, school system by suing them for defrauding children for their education. And so he's in that lawsuit right now. And um, then there's also a, a bishop here in this area who has been very innovative uh, in his approach, a very large church, but he's never compromised on the biblical standards, uh, but yet he's highly respected. He's the chairman of their county's um, uh, commerce, um, chamber of commerce. And so he's been very innovative. So whenever the chamber of commerce meets, they meet at his church, a beautiful sanctuary. So anyway, those are the people that we're going to uh, to to honor at this Juneteenth event. Then the other thing that I would mention is many Frederick Douglass Foundation leaders from around the country will join us for the Road to Majority, which is a national event that's put on by one of our strategic partners, Faith and Freedom Coalition. So we've partnered with Faith and Freedom. Uh, they've done an outstanding job by uh, actually covering uh, some of the cost so that it's uh, not as expensive because coming to Washington, D.C. can be expensive. And so they've helped with that. So I think we'll have over 50 of our leaders from around the country that will participate at Road to Majority, where they'll have, uh, you know, all most of the presidential candidates will be speaking, but there'll be workshops. Uh, we will also visit Capitol Hill uh, with some pocket cards that we have that will talk about the sanctity of human life. Uh, Frederick Douglass Foundation is noted on those pocket cards. So it's going to be a great time at both of those events here in June. And then lastly, uh, I should mention a virtual event that is going to be at the Heritage Foundation on Tuesday. Uh, my good friend and colleague, Benjamin Watson, who is a former uh, NFL Super Bowl uh, champion, Benjamin Watson, who has a brand new book out called uh, The Fight. I think it's called like The New Fight for Life. 
And um, Benjamin will be speaking at the Heritage Foundation. So if you visit the Heritage Foundation's website, um, we're promoting that because Benjamin is a, a good friend, colleague and supporter of the Douglas Leadership Institute. Uh, so, Dean, I really appreciate your time. I know you're very busy, so we're going to try to get you out of here shortly here. So I'm going to come at it. There's a lot of things we could uh, discuss, but I'm going to come at it from this standpoint about a specific issue. We talked earlier about the uh, anti-Black uh, history of the Democratic Party, the pro-slavery, pro-Jim Crow history of the Democratic Party. And... Uh, the other part of that is that uh, a lot, even though we've been voting them for 40, 50 years, things keep getting worse. Well, I'm going to uh, Bishop Nelson. Uh, what do you say to uh, black voters who are like uh, the Republicans aren't around? They're not doing anything for us. At least the Democrats are trying. Uh, we don't believe in your history. doesn't matter to me. And really what it gets down to is that I need to put food on the table. I need to pay my rent. And unless you guys can come up with something better, I'm going to dance with the devil that, that I came here with. What would you say to a voter like that or a community like that who's saying, you know, at least they got programs to help my kids and they say all the right things. And a lot of it really gets down to what I remember Elon Musk said, the Democrats seem kinder in some of these communities uh, than the GOP. What would you say to a person like that or a community like that? Yeah, um, you know, there are a number of things that I have said and can continue to say, depending upon where I discern that the person is. But based on your question, I basically put posit, posit this. I'm like, mm -hmm. do you want to rent for the rest of your life or do you want to own? Because the biblical model is ownership. And Frederick Douglass did not fight the fight that he fought just to pay rent or lease space on somebody's plantation. His desire was is that black Americans had the right to have full ownership uh, and participation within this free society that we call America. He basically said, look, if we can't stand on our own two feet, let us fall. He said, but let us at least try to stand you know, on our own. And I think that that is the message that I say to people. I say, listen, if you want to stay over there um, and have, you know, somebody giving you a little bit of a handout, I said, that's good. I said, but that's not me. I think that we deserve better. And when I look at the history of our party and the history of our people, they wanted full ownership in this experiment that we call America. We sometimes, man, our thinking gets so small. We have great opportunity in America. Booker T. Washington once said, we can't allow our grievances to overshadow our opportunity. And I think that talking to young people, particularly about the opportunity that exists and taking full advantage of it. I mean, when you talk to Africans who come to this country, they're like, hey, all right, black people, if you want to do that, sit over there. I'm going to get mine. When you talk to Asians who come to this country, they want to get theirs. We need to develop ourselves within ourselves that mindset. I think we need to preach it. We need to demonstrate it in our own personal lives. And we do have to have a heart of compassion to engage with folks, to give them the hope that they can do it. But at the end of the day, it is about a personal decision 
of what you were going to do yourself. And I believe the more that we do that, we're going to see people say, look, I believe in free, uh, uh, free markets. I believe in free speech. I believe in the free exercise of religion. And that's what I'm about. So those are some of the things that I try to highlight to people uh, so that they can believe in a better tomorrow. Okay, so Dean, uh, given that you are my first Juneteenth guest, I'm going to ask that you leave our audience with a Juneteenth message and let you go and have dinner or whatever with your family. But uh, leave our audience a positive Juneteenth message, uh, especially from the perspective of something you hit on. I just find so many of our young people, they just lost all hope. And they just think racism is stopping them from doing anything and, and just stacked against them. And it's sad that they have this in their heads, but keeping that in mind, what type of uh, Juneteenth message you as uh, the uh, chairman, president, uh, head man of the Frederick Douglass uh, Foundation nationally, what will leave something with our audience uh, that will be uplifting and hopeful? Yeah, man. I, uh, number one, would um, invite your uh, audience to take a look at an article that I wrote on Juneteenth that can be found at uh, WNG.org uh, in their opinion section on Juneteenth, where I basically argue that uh, all Republicans and all Christians should celebrate uh, Juneteenth. That whole idea that when uh, General Granger got the word finally to some black Americans who did not know that they were free. So I believe that the message that I would encourage people is, is to know that you are free as Christians. We know that the word of God says that, you know, he has made us free and free indeed. And I would say to some of those who have celebrated Juneteenth, but diminished July 4th, I don't, we would never have, Juneteenth if we didn't first have July 4th and Independence Day. And we can't forget that there were black Americans like Crispus Attucks who gave their lives on that day as well. So I'm encouraging all Americans to look at Juneteenth as the beginning of a freedom season all the way through July 4th, where we should have holidays, uh, cookouts, uh, celebrations, picnics, celebrating freedom and celebrating the great American ideal because we are one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And the only way that it will be that way is if we continue as a people to hold our country to a higher standard. And uh, I believe that that would be the Juneteenth message. You know, early on when they first started Juneteenth in Texas, they also called it Jubilee Day, that biblical idea that slaves are set free debts are canceled and it was a great release and so i would just encourage us to have that great release uh, for all of us to celebrate the idea of freedom that is promised to all americans well that's a good note to end on uh bishop nelson i will encourage all our audience not that it's the definitive story but go out and and watch the documentary on the Civil War. I think it's about, what, seven or eight volumes or something like that. And nice. get some perspective. And, and Frederick Douglass does uh, play a very key role in that documentary and get some background on that and just learn our history 
and, and where, where we come from and the great uh, atonement, I guess we did for history and the redemption along those lines. So anyway, uh, Dean Nelson, you have been very, very special guest here today on Juneteenth. Uh, I look forward to talking to you in the future. I look forward to seeing you in DC soon. And uh, thank you very much and keep up the great work. Uh, thank, thank you. you bro. Thank you for your leadership out there in uh, Minnesota. We're excited about you guys launching. It's going to be amazing. And know that you've got people that are supporting you uh, around the country, praying for you guys' success. Uh, We're really, really excited uh, at the Frederick Douglass Foundation about what you guys are doing. Thanks and have a great evening. Uh, you in uh, Washington? Hey, go have some Maryland crab cakes or something for, <laughs> for me. <laughs> and I'm Very looking good. forward. I've been to Baltimore and that your little wharf up there. What do they call that? The, the little wharf place you got up there. Uh, oh, the harbor. At the harbor. That's what I'm yes, for. sir. Uh, yes, sir. Has some great crab crab cakes up there. I'm looking forward to having some with you when I see you in DC. So Amen. have a great evening. Uh, happy Juneteenth and keep up the great work, uh, Bishop Nelson. Thank you so much, man. God bless you. God bless you.